Hello and welcome to the Lancet podcast. I'm Richard Lane on Friday, November the 30th. In a moment, the outbreak of a tropical disease in northeast Italy. But December the 1st is World AIDS Day. We have an editorial commenting on new estimates of global HIV incidents, recently released by UNAIDS. The figures show how the pandemic is levelling off, with an estimated 33.2 million new infections in 2007 compared with 40 million in 2006. But we say that focusing on the figures alone misses the point, especially given the diverse nature of the pandemic. The editorial concludes that in a battle with a disease that has had too few signs of hope, this report signals some good news. Being more certain of the numbers should help policymakers, civil society and governments to plan, mobilise resources and implement activities more effectively to overcome HIV. We also say that these figures should strengthen commitment and action in the face of a pandemic that can be defeated. We also run three items about HIV AIDS in the comments section this week. One of them by James Burden from the Bureau for Global Health at the US Agency for Development in Washington DC in the United States expounds 10 misconceptions about HIV AIDS and is well worth a read. Here is the first misconception. You'll have to read the comment to get the other nine. HIV spreads like wildfire. Typically, it does not. It is very infectious in the first few weeks when viral levels are high, but not in the subsequent many years quiescent phase. And only 8% of people whose primary heterosexual partners have the virus become infected. Also in this week's issue, dated December the 1st to the 7th, look out for research articles showing how raised cholesterol increases the risk of ischemic heart disease, although the data are not conclusive as to whether raised blood cholesterol can be an independent risk factor for stroke, and some encouraging news about the safety and immunogenicity of a new vaccine against Japanese encephalitis virus. We also published an article published online in the summer showing up-to-date treatments for rheumatoid arthritis. But our main feature this week is the story of a surprising outbreak of a tropical disease known as chikungunya, which occurred in northeastern Italy throughout the summer of 2007. Earlier, I spoke to one of the study authors, Professor Antonio Cassone, from University La Spezia in Rome, Italy. Can you just give us a little bit of context and tell us where chikungunya virus is normally found and the populations that it normally affects? Well, yes, the chikungunya virus is a tropical virus that is transmitted to man by mosquitoes, more than one type of mosquito. And uh, basically, uh, this was discovered in Africa uh, many years ago, and uh, it became endemic both in Africa through a cycle of uh, primate and mosquito biting transmission. And uh, after maybe about 15 years of some latency, in the early 2000 years, it has become a really very frequent agent of infection in Southeast India, in the Indian islands, and some other areas in the tropical zone. The normal epidemics of the, the normal distribution of the virus and the mosquito vector, that is the transmitting agent of this disease, is, uh, as a matter of fact, very, very frequent also in other areas of the world. In particular, it is very frequent in uh, south, uh, southern Europe, uh, some areas of South America and North America, and also spotted areas in Netherlands and some uh, northern regions of Europe. The disease itself is chikungunya, is a strange name 
which comes from a jargon in some population in Africa. That means the man who walks bent since the, uh, the painful joints are really so painful that uh, the, the man uh, works in a very curved and bent position. And this is the, 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 the reason for chikungunya, this strange name. So the arthralgia, the painful joints, and the fever, of course, are the landmarks of, the, of this disease. And just to be clear, although clearly having a fever and um, badly aching joints is undesirable, it's not as serious a disease as something else like malaria, which is uh, obviously spread by mosquitoes as well. It's rarely fatal, is that right? For what concerns the outcome in terms of life, uh, this is a very benign disease are two issues, as a matter of fact. One is that the arthralgia, these painful joints, may be incapacitating for long, for long time. That means several weeks or months in some cases. And the other issue that is really a warning for public health is that the same vector which transmits this disease to man uh, can transmit also dengue. Professor Cassoni, thank you for the context about uh, chikungunya virus. Now, please tell us about this story that unfolded in Ravenna, which is a town in Emilia-Romagna, which is a district in northeastern Italy. And this happened during the summer 2007. Briefly, could you just walk us through the story here? What we have discovered uh, with our epidemiological and virological investigation is that uh, a subject coming from Kerala, India, well, Kerala, India, is an area where chikungunya is endemic. There are cases every year. When this subject just came to Italy, visiting some of his relatives in Forlimpopoli. Forlimpopoli is a, a, a small town in the northern eastern of Italy, in the region Emilia-Romagna. And he was not febrile when he came to Italy. Two days after... He, he visited a cousin in Castiglione di Cervia, that is one of the two villages where the outbreak occurred. I, I, I remember here that Castiglione di Cervia and Castiglione di Ravenna are just two small suburbs of the, the big city, Ravenna. So in these two small cities, in one of, the, one of them, in Castiglione di Cervia, two days after he arrived in Italy, he developed a fever. And he developed a fever when he was visiting the relative. Well, uh, this, this happened in, on June 23rd. On 4th July, uh, the cousin got fever and a very painful joint and some rash. And following that, all the components of the family got sick. Uh, until the the end of July, when some of the cases from our investigation had occurred, but we didn't know that. We were not advised as the National Health Institute that was occurring there. Nobody realized during July that there were cases of a new diseases never present in Italy. You understand how it can be difficult for the local authority, for the general practitioners there, to, uh, to realize it's a new disease and a spectral one. How did it spread to the other members of the family? It was spread by the other members of the family just by a very simple reason. In summer, in that area, there is a very high density of 
the mosquito vector, the Aedes albopictus. This Aedes albopictus is, is commonly called the tiger mosquito. The tiger mosquito is very, uh, reaches very high density in that area of the country, and uh, in, that, uh, in that time of the year, in that season. And uh, so the mosquito was biting the feverish patient and transmitted the virus, the chikungunya virus, to the relatives. And uh, during July, uh, relatively few cases occurred in the same, in the same town, just because this is a very small town with, with, with uh, some hundreds of, of inhabitants, and they stay close to Gator in this area, uh, with homes which are with gardens and so on, and very high density of mosquitoes. And so few cases occurred during July because this mosquito, in a, in a radius of two, three hundred meters, were capable of biting the inhabitants there with some efficiency, not very high efficiency, but some efficiency. So you can imagine that by the end of June, there were more than one or two feverish patients in the small area, and there's still very high density of mosquitoes. So the capacity of the mosquito to feed on uh, infected patients be became higher. A classic epidemic in a small area. A classic epidemic in a very small area. Since mosquitoes don't travel very much, they just travel 100, 200 meters. But the population was there in small villages. The mosquito had the possibility of biting more than one person, one more, more than one uh, feverish person since the fever was. It, you, 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 can't, you can't go to bed just because at the beginning of the fever is, 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 is a very, I would say, moderate fever at the beginning. And so persons are infected and biting by mosquito, this is a transmission to other people there. So the, the more people became feverish and infected, and the more possibility for the mosquito were to just feed on them and transmit to others. So at the beginning of August, we had more than 20, 30, 40 cases. And when in, in, in a small village, uh, the, the GPs uh, just realized that uh, so many people were affected by something that was new for them, in a way, they advised the local regional health authorities, advised us. This occurred just between 10 and 20 August. They put some presumptive diagnosis, and this is another interesting story there. Since there are some diseases in that area, in another area of, of, of Italy, with similar symptoms with, uh, and similar transmissions, but really not the same disease, they just diagnosed presumptively some uh, sand fly fever or Toscana virus fever and so on. That is endemic in Italy, but as a matter of fact, is not uh, is not endowed with such a high transmission rate, and in the, the symptoms were not really overlapping. Well, the arthralgia, the painful joints, were really different and much more intense. This was the story until uh, we were. Uh, aware that uh, and were advised by the local regional authorities that something on you was happening. And once you were alerted, well, two questions. Did you have any suspicion yourself, given that you mentioned these other possible um, viral or febrile uh, diseases that can occur in, in Italy? Did you have any idea it could be chikungunya? And secondly, what was your reaction? How did you then deal with the situation? This is a, a good question. Of course, the local health authorities and the GPs in that area 
did not have a strong suspicion of a new disease of chikungunya. But the National Reference Laboratory, that means our institute, my department, we had uh, some alert on that since we imported in the last 10 years about 30 cases of chikungunya by visitors or travelers coming from the affected area of sub Indian subcontinent. So we knew that there could have been the possibility of some transmission. But in those cases, in all imported cases, there was no real transmission in Italy, local transmission, since the imported case was feverish and everything finished there, probably because of two reasons. One was the low density of the mosquito in that time of the year where we imported the cases, and the other can be less efficient transmission of the mosquito in that area. We don't know really well, but at any rate, we were alerted already that there could have been the possibility of some outbreak. But we consider that, after the third important case without local transmission, relatively unlikely. But when we got the evidence of the symptoms that were so very uh, close to the symptomatology of chikungunya that is described in the literature that we, and that we knew from the imported cases. And when we realized that the very high density of the mosquito there, when people, our epidemiologists investigating on the field, immediately had the suspicion that the 30 or 40 cases already occurred of chikungunya could be a local transmission of chikungunya, really. As soon as we, we saw the local symptomatology, the numbers of patients, the local density of mosquitoes and so on, we put the diagnosis, the presumptive diagnosis of chikungunya. And of course, we collected samples, and the local health regional authorities were very cooperative on that. So we, could, we were able to collect a lot of samples from almost all affected subjects, and by virological and serological tests, the diagnosis was really very simple, since the laboratory diagnosis of chingonia is not difficult. What is more difficult is the preparedness of the GPs and the local uh, health authorities to understand, to be the sentinels of the situation, and to understand the new symptoms uh, that they didn't see uh, before in that area. And what you found was 205 cases of chicken. Yes, until the end of, of September, we diagnosed 204 cases of chikungunya. And there are still 10 cases that are still under examination, but all those cases were uh, samples collected during August or early September. The final numbers can be a little bit more, maybe 214 or 215. But the epidemic is closed. It's now over since we didn't get any new case of chikungunya fever until the end of September. And the reason you controlled the epidemic was that, that locally you, you had a preparedness situation whereby you could get local health people in to use insecticides to spray the affected areas to take quite prompt action to, to actually, if you like, terminate the epidemic. While there was some insufficient preparation in uh, rapidly uh, diagnosed, clinical diagnosis, 
of chikungunya. And I can understand that uh, because of the absence of this disease in, the, in that area. But there was a very high and good response in disinfestation of the mosquito. So uh, abetting very rapidly the density of the mosquito, so inhibiting for the transmission. This was, this was a very good response locally, also because those people were prepared in a way to that, uh, since the, 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 the mosquito there is very aggressive, and uh, from years to years, there were uh, some campaigns of this infestation just to avoid the noxious activity of these mosquitoes. Uh, this is a very bad biting attitude, but mosquito, with some uh, skin reaction, very, very, in some cases also very, very heavy. So the people there were prepared for this infestation, and this infestation was very aggressive, home to home, in some cases containers to containers, since the mosquito, this mosquito, the Aedes albopictus, the tiger mosquito, just lives and uh, deposits the eggs in, short, in small containers in the homes and or just outdoors. So the, the, we, we, we needed to uh, aggressively, disinf uh, an aggressive disinfestation door-to-door uh, uh, -door in those two villages. Which you did, yes, very successfully. Final question, just uh, very briefly, please. I mean, it's a really interesting, as you say, real-life scenario of, of uh, a tropical disease infection occurring in an unusual place. But the lesson, if you like, to be learned, it's about the globalization, not just of human beings, but of also microorganisms as well, which means that in terms of preparedness at the public health level, we need to be vigilant, even in areas where we're not used to having these types of outbreaks. You're totally right. We need to be vigilant and we need to consider every virus which is present in the world to be potentially affecting our own populations because we have a very huge capacity now of transportation of goods and persons. And there is a very high capacity of the vectors to invade all areas of the world. Also because there are some climatic changes which uh, in temperate regions, they are, there is a rising up of the temperature uh, in, in temperate regions and some climatic changes which favor the distribution of Aedes albopictus and other potential mosquito vectors. So the vigilance must be not against what we have only, but the vigilance must be against what there is elsewhere. Professor Cassoni, it's a fascinating article. Thank you very much for talking to The Lancet. You're welcome, and hope this can be uh, helpful for people. Professor Antonio Cassoni, concluding this week's podcast. Many thanks for listening. See you next week.